Welcome to the teaching ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Santa Maria, California. Join our pastors as they share biblical principles of God's transforming grace so that you may learn God's word in order to live God's way. Amen. You can be seated. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Philemon where we will see even more what we've been singing about the power of the cross to change human hearts. Let's pray as we begin. Father, thank you for your son and the perfect life that he lived for us because we could never live it and the perfect death that he died for us because we deserved it and the perfect resurrection that is our hope one day. Jesus took the blame He bore the wrath, and we stand forgiven at the cross. We thank you for that. Impress that deeper into our hearts this morning. By your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1969, two Australians, John Rendell and Anthony Ace Bork, made one of the most significant purchases of their lives together. They were in Herod's department store and discovered a baby lion for sale in the exotic pets department. Listen, ladies, if you want your husband to go shopping with you, you take him to a store that has an exotic pets department. He'll go. The men were there, and apparently Herod's had this department at that time, and they saw this lion, fell in love with him. They were concerned about his conditions and fate, and so they decided to buy him. So Rendell and Bork, along with their two girlfriends, named the lion Christian and took care of him until he was one year old. They were able to use the grounds of a church to let him run around and play and things, but in time, obviously, Christian the lion became too big for them to keep. They soon were connected with a conservationist in Kenya named George Adamson who agreed to help them rehabilitate Christian back into the wild at his compound at the Kora National Reserve in Kenya. Adamson took Christian the lion, slowly introduced him to other lions in the hopes of forming a new pride. The attempt was successful and Adamson informed Rendell and Bork of its success. When the two men heard the news, they decided to come back and see if they could visit Christian and see him one last time. However, Adamson warned them, I haven't seen Christian in his pride in nine months. I think you're going to waste your time coming. The men pressed on anyway. Unbeknownst to them, even though it was a shot in the dark, one day before the men arrived, Christian the lion in his pride showed back up at the compound. This story kind of hit the internet several years ago, so I want to show you a video footage of what the reunion was like. I don't show videos much, but I thought it's important for us to understand as we talk about reconciliation. Never mind the cheesy soundtrack that we're going to hear, okay? Never mind the fuzzy pictures and ignore Barbara Walters, but watch what happened as these men are reunited with Christian the Lion. This is the kind of reunion and reconciliation that the gospel can produce when there is a rift in any human relationship. 
Paul has this kind of reunion in mind as he writes this letter to Philemon, encouraging him to welcome back with open arms Onesimus, his runaway slave. And and in many ways, it is a very similar situation. As the men were not sure how the lion would react when they were reconciled and reunited with him, so too Onesimus must have been wondering, What's it going to be like when I return to my master Philemon? Will he accept me with open arms? The power of the cross, the power of the gospel message, the power of Jesus Christ is that when any human relationship is strained, it has power to reconcile humans exactly like we just saw in the video. Our big idea today is this gospel refreshment happens when hearts are changed and sustained by Jesus. When any relationship is strained, what we need to seek after, what we need to pray for is true heart change for all parties involved. Only Jesus can transform and change a human heart. Only the gospel can transform sinful hearts to forgive others. When relationships get strained, and they will, we must go to Jesus, the great heart sustainer. We must rehearse the gospel. We must remember that in the gospel, God, the offended party, took the initiative to reconcile with sinners. We must remember the gospel call. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. That's what verses 8 through 16 are about. This section is all about how the gospel has the power to change human hearts and human relationships that have been wrecked and ruined by human sin. Look at verses 8 through 11 and hear the words of the reconciling God. Accordingly, Paul says, Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you, Philemon, to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. Paul is fully aware of his apostolic authority that has been entrusted to him and given to him by God. Paul knows that he can command Philemon to forgive and welcome back Onesimus, his runaway slave. But Paul appeals, rather. He appeals for forgiveness to come from Philemon's heart. He wants forgiveness to come from a heart that has been changed by the gospel, not a heart that feels the heaviness of Paul's hand. What's interesting here is that Paul begins to make his appeal in verse 9, and and then he interrupts himself, mentions his age and his imprisonment, and then he comes back to his appeal. It's as if Paul is saying, I appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, drawing social security in prison, sitting in chains, I appeal to you for Onesimus. What Paul is doing, he is interjecting some perspective here. For Philemon to understand what's really happening. It's as if Paul is saying, Philemon, 
My life has been changed by the gospel. My whole life has been turned upside down because of the good news of Jesus Christ. I am an old man in prison for the gospel. You too, brother, are called to be changed by the gospel and to forgive Onesimus. If you think forgiving a runaway slave who is now a Christian is hard, try sitting in prison for a while at my age. Notice how Paul has been focusing on the gospel, focusing on God's transforming grace so far in this letter. He has actually delayed bringing up the name of Onesimus until he gets to verse 10. Paul is 145 words into his letter, which is 335 words long, before he ever brings up the name of Onesimus. Paul knew that this was a touchy situation. He knew it was a very sensitive topic and issue. So it takes him 10 verses before he ever brings up the very name that would set Philemon off. Why? Why does Paul do that? Because Paul wants to focus Philemon's attention on God before he brings up his runaway slave Onesimus. Eight times Before he even mentions Onesimus, eight times Paul will mention either God the Father or Jesus Christ. Why? Because Paul wants to focus Philemon's attention on the gospel. Paul wants to see gospel change come to Philemon's heart so that Philemon doesn't feel compelled or pushed or bullied by Paul into forgiving Onesimus. Paul keeps the gospel Front and center. Paul is God-centered here during the conflict. Why? Because the only way, the only true way that reconciliation can happen is by focusing on God, by focusing on the gospel message. The only way that gospel change will come about is by focusing on the gospel Now, notice the gospel change in verses 10 through 11 that Paul highlights. First, Paul points out how the gospel has changed Onesimus. Paul refers to himself as father, and he calls Onesimus my child. What this means is that Paul likely met Onesimus, maybe even led him to Christ, shared the gospel with him. So Paul says, he's my child, and I am his spiritual father. But then Paul says, Onesimus, who was formerly useless to you, Philemon, is now very useful. What's interesting here is that the name Onesimus means useful. So in effect, Paul is saying, I appeal to you for my child, Mr. Useful. Formerly, Mr. Useful was useless to you, but now he really is Mr. Useful. Mr. Useful is now living up to his name. He is now both useful to you and to me because the gospel has actually changed his life. Onesimus was truly changed by the gospel. The second change that we see here, gospel change, is the fact that Paul mentions his imprisonment. This is the third time of five that Paul brings up his imprisonment for the gospel, he says. It's my imprisonment for the gospel. It's as if Paul wants Philemon, as he mentions his imprisonment five times in this letter, it's as if Paul wants Philemon to hear the clanking chains that Paul is chained with as he writes this letter. Almost as if maybe that Paul is saying, Philemon, if you hold on to unforgiveness and you hold on to bitterness, you yourself will be chained 
by unforgiveness and by bitterness. How has Paul been able to endure such hard suffering and imprisonment for the gospel? How does Paul survive knowing that two of his friends are fighting? How does Paul deal with all of the pressures of ministry? How does Paul deal with all of the intense suffering that he undergoes? We know that Paul struggled with the weight and the gravity of everything that was happening in all of the churches that he was involved in. Because he says so in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. He says, and apart from other things, and he's just listed a whole bunch of physical suffering he's gone through. He says, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. How does Paul cope with suffering for the gospel and all of the severed relationships and problems in all of the churches that he shepherds? His heart was sustained by Jesus, the great heart sustainer. Gospel refreshment happens when hearts are changed and sustained by Jesus. When Christians experience heart change, true heart change, and they forgive each other and reconciliation takes place, gospel refreshment comes to all parties involved. When there are two people fighting in a church and reconciliation happens, gospel refreshment comes to the whole church. When two married people are reconciled, gospel refreshment comes to the whole family. Gospel refreshment comes when hearts are changed and reconciliation truly takes place. Look at verses 12 through 14. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. Paul says, I would be thrilled to keep Onesimus with me. He's serving me as I'm sitting in prison. And if I kept him here, he would serve me on your behalf, Philemon. But Paul doesn't want to force Philemon to do it here. Paul wants Philemon to want to do it. Paul is saying, look, I'm going to be honest with you. I need Onesimus. I would be overjoyed if he stayed here. His services are needed. However, I do not want you to feel compelled to let him stay unless you feel led to. I want you to do it from the heart. I want your heart to change, Philemon. I want your perspective to change. I want you to see how the gospel has changed Onesimus. And I want you to see how the gospel has changed this very situation. Paul, in fact, will go on in verses 15 to 16 to highlight the change that the gospel had brought into this scenario. Look at verses 15 and 16 with me. For this perhaps is why Onesimus was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Paul is pointing out how the departure of Onesimus has indeed changed Onesimus. Onesimus is now a Christian. He is a brother in the Lord, and it was all orchestrated and governed 
by the hand of a sovereign God. That's why Paul says in verse 15, look, he says, For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while. Maybe the whole reason Onesimus ran away was so that he might come to faith in Jesus, that he might be changed and transformed by the gospel message. The phrase here that Paul uses, parted from you for a while, reads literally in the Greek, parted for an hour. Paul is not saying that Onesimus has only been gone from Philemon for 60 minutes. What Paul is doing is he's showing us in light of eternity, the departure of Onesimus, however long it actually was, would only seem like an hour because now he has become a Christian. This shows us that we need to shift our focus and learn to see the events of our lives through the lens of eternity. Understand this, Grace. We are never far from God, no matter how far we are from those around us. God had the number of Onesimus. He was alone in a big city like Rome, away from where he was supposed to be, not living the way he was supposed to be living, and yet God was still there, right in the middle of the life of Onesimus. Let me ask you, do you know someone in your life, perhaps a child or a friend that you know, family member who grew up in church and they know the truth, but they're on the run from God? Don't give up. Let this passage give you hope. Now, I'm not saying this passage is a free ticket to cash in on them, that you can claim this promise for them. But like Paul, you could say, perhaps they have departed for a while. Maybe God will intervene, that we will have them back forever. So what do you do in that situation? You pray. You pray and you ask God to arrest their attention, to bring someone across their path to share Jesus Christ with him. Have hope from Philemon's situation that no one is too far from God. Onesimus was in a big city, seemingly unreachable. No email, no cell phone, no internet, no Facebook, and the most qualified person in the world to reach him, the God-ordained person to reach Onesimus, the runaway slave, with the gospel, was an old man in prison. And yet God, in his sovereignty, directed Onesimus to the Apostle Paul. Your Onesimus has a Paul out there. It may seem like an eternity now, but if by God's grace they turn back to Jesus, it will only seem like an hour in light of eternity. So you pray and you give thanks to God that he has their number and you wait. And you let Jesus sustain your heart while you wait for your prodigal to experience a change of heart. You let Jesus, the great heart sustainer, sustain your heart while you wait for your prodigal's heart to change. You see, gospel refreshment happens when hearts are changed and sustained by Jesus. So let Jesus sustain you. Are there relationships in your life 
that need the reconciling power of the gospel. Maybe someone you know that needs to be reconciled to God through the gospel because they don't know Jesus. Or maybe there's some strife in your relationships with others like Philemon and Onesimus. Whatever the case may be, you can experience gospel refreshment by letting Jesus sustain you. That's what Paul was calling on Philemon to do. That's why Paul keeps bringing up the Lord in his letter. In the midst of his pain and anger and frustration and hurt, Philemon was being challenged by Paul to let Jesus change and sustain him in the midst of his personal loss and pain. Paul was saying to Philemon, Brother, let Jesus sustain your heart as you deal with the absence of Onesimus and the pain he inflicted on you. Let Jesus change you as you reflect on how good God has been to you in forgiving you, Philemon, of all of your sins. Let me make two application points for us when we experience the damaging and the messy and the hurtful and the nasty and the ugly and the painful relationships that will happen in this fallen world. What do you do when you find yourselves in Philemon's shoes and someone has wronged you and someone has hurt you? How do you get gospel refreshment in that moment when someone that you love has brought such pain into your life and done something horrific to you? How do you cope? How do you find hope? How do you get refreshment from the gospel message from Jesus Christ when you find yourself in Philemon's shoes? The first thing you do is you focus on Jesus and not on them. You focus on your Savior. You focus on Jesus Christ and not on the person who has offended you and the person who has hurt you. You get your eyes off of them and you get your eyes on to Jesus. When there is division and strife and hurt, when there are prodigals who are on the run, when there are unaffectionate spouses, some who are even turning away from you and seeking another, when there are rebellious children at home or on the run who have attitudes and want nothing to do with Jesus, you let all of those people see that Jesus has captivated your heart and not their sin in the situation. You let people see that you are mainly enjoying the Lord's goodness to you through and in the midst of the trial. You let the people who offend you and hurt you see that you are enjoying the grace of God that is actually sustaining you in the midst of the pain. If the message that we send off to others when there are strained, messy, hurtful relationships, is I am angry at you because you broke the rules. You hurt me. You let me down. If that is the message that we are sending off to those who hurt us, 
and cause pain. If we send this message, I am angry at you because you broke the rules. You hurt me. You let me down. If we send that message off, then God is not glorified. God is not glorified because this focus shifts to us and our pain And the focus shifts to others and the pain that they have caused us. In Philemon's case, he was focusing on his anger and pain and focusing on the one who caused it, Onesimus, his runaway slave. The God-glorifying, Christ-exalting message that we should send out when relationships get strained is this. I am resting in the gospel even though you have wronged me. Get this, parents. When your kids are rebellious, let them see you resting in the gospel. Get this, spouses. When your spouse is unaffectionate and cold and distant, let them see you resting in the gospel. Get this, church. When someone has wronged you and hurt you, let them see you resting in the gospel. Let them see you resting in God's goodness to you in the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ. Let others see the peace and the hope that you have in the gospel message. Let them see the peace and the hope that you have knowing that God can change the situation that you find yourselves in. Let them see you resting on the promise of Romans 1.16 that the gospel is powerful. Let them see that a Gospel-centered lifestyle is a better way to live, a more refreshing way to live. Let them see that their life of unforgiveness and anger and bitterness is not a life of freedom, but is a life of chains and bondage. To win those who are breaking our hearts, We must strive to enjoy Jesus more than we hate their sin. Let me say that again. To win those who are breaking our hearts, our kids, our friends, our spouses, somebody here at church who used to be a friend and now you think of them as an enemy. To win those who are breaking our hearts, we must strive and fight to enjoy Jesus more than we hate their sin. We must strive to enjoy Jesus more than we hate what they have done to us. We must strive to enjoy Jesus, the great heart sustainer. We must let him captivate our hearts, not them. And who better to captivate and to satiate And to heal a broken heart than Jesus. Who better knows about having a broken heart and loving the rebellious and wayward? Who better knows that than Jesus himself? See, God gets glory when in our pain and hurt and strained relationships, we show that he is better and stronger than our pain. And that he is better and stronger than their sin. Our relationship with Jesus sustains us 
when other relationships go wrong. So focus on Jesus and not on the people that hurt you. That's the first way you experience gospel refreshment. You focus on Jesus and you keep thinking about him and not them and what they've done to you. You focus on what Jesus Christ has done for you. And that's to live the life that you could never live. And that's to die the death that you deserve. And that's to experience the resurrection from the dead, which you will experience one day, Christian. You focus on Jesus and what he has done for you and not others and what they have done to you. The second way to get gospel refreshment is to focus on your sin and not on theirs. To focus on your sin and not the sins of others. I don't mean become morbidly introspective and try to keep a detailed list of your sins every day. That'll only bring suffering and pain and and depression. What I mean is focus on how sinful you are, how you have offended a holy God, how you were born a rebel, how you lived a life of rebellion against a holy God. And then think about how in Christ that God forgives you. The sin that others have done against you pales in comparison to the way that you and I have offended a holy God. Don't think that their sin against you is worse than what you have done against God. That's blasphemy. How is it blasphemy? Think of all the petty things that we get offended at that cause us to get angry at other people and withhold forgiveness. Think of all the petty ways that we get angry at people in our life. You see a box of cereal in the cupboard at night, You wake up in the morning to discover that your teenager ate all of it in the night and and in your mind, that was your cereal. And you wake up in the morning and you're angry at your teenager because your cereal was gone. Or think about how someone came and took your pew in the church. They took your spot. They took your parking space. Someone wakes you up from a nap. Whatever it is. Now compare that offense done to you with your offense against the holy God. Do you see how it's blasphemy? Because we have elevated ourselves above a holy God. To think that we have the right to withhold forgiveness to the person who took the last bagel or the last of the cereal when we have offended a holy God. Even with the not so petty things, we are still in no place to withhold forgiveness. I'm talking about the not so petty, the deep pain that causes scars and emotional torment and the pain and the agony of what someone does to us physically or emotionally. Even then, we are in no place to withhold forgiveness. We live in a fallen world and sinners do some very tragic, sad, disgusting, evil things to each other. And if you find yourself in those situations, it takes a constant rehearsal of the gospel to be able to forgive those who have wronged us on that level. If you place yourself on a pedestal above God 
and think that you have been wronged in a far greater way by others than the way that you personally have offended God, then you are in desperate need of some good old-fashioned gospel rehearsal. Remembering that while you were an enemy, God has sent his son out of his great love to take your place on the cross. The key to reconciliation is not dwelling on the sins of those who have offended you, but by focusing on your sins that have offended a holy God. As you rehearse the gospel and understand all of the heinous crimes against God that you are guilty of and forgiven of, you will develop a soft heart to forgive others. I promise you, if you do this, it works. I did it this last week. When people offended me and people took my last bagel or whatever it was, from the petty to the extreme, I kept telling myself, Benji, what they've done to you pales in comparison to what you have done against a holy God. And I started thinking about my life of sin And how God forgives me. And I started to realize, wow, if God can forgive me of all of my sin, how can I withhold forgiveness? When you think about your Savior and you think about your sin and you don't think about them and you don't think about their sin, I promise you, gospel refreshment will come to your heart that you can look at them and say, I forgive you because God has forgiven me of so much. And what he has forgiven me of pales in comparison to this tiny little thing that you've done. The path to gospel-centered, Christ-exalting reconciliation in relationships is by focusing on your sin and not theirs. Colossians 3.13, which is a commandment, forgiving each other, As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Ephesians 4.32 Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That's the gospel. None of us are exempt from that verse. No matter what's been done to us. As we approach the communion table today, Some of you need to forgive people in your life. Some of you have been hanging on to bitterness and anger and you are in chains and you know it. Don't take these elements today. The bread and the cup. Don't take these elements if you are not ready to forgive and embrace those who have wronged you. This table is first for Christians. It's not for people who aren't disciples. It's for Christians. And secondly, this table is for Christians who understand their great sins. And they are ready to forgive others or to admit the struggle to forgive others of their great sins. Because they have been forgiven of their great sins by a merciful and gracious God. Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians 11 to examine ourselves before we take communion or the Lord's Supper. Otherwise, he says, we may drink judgment unto ourselves. We may become weak, we may become sick, or we may even die. I think what Paul is saying is that if you are going to come to the table and celebrate the fact that God has forgiven you in Christ and you don't want to extend forgiveness to others, then Paul would say, don't take the elements. 
But if you can come to the elements today and say, God, this table represents how messed up I am. This table represents how weak I am. This table represents how I struggle to forgive the people that have wronged me. Please, please, please help me to forgive. Help me to rehearse the gospel. Push it down deeper into my heart that I can extend mercy and forgiveness to others. If you can do that and at least say, God, I'm struggling. Help me. Then come to this table and let him empower you by his transforming grace to go and do it. But if you're sitting there with your arms crossed and you're saying, I will not forgive that person of anything because of what they've done, do not take these elements. These are for people who say, I have been forgiven by great sins and by God's grace, he will empower me, forgive the great sins and wrongs that have been done against me. Gospel refreshment happens when hearts are changed and sustained by Jesus. Let's celebrate gospel reconciliation today. Let's rejoice that we don't approach a holy God, fearing that he is a lion who is about to attack us. Let's thank God for sending Jesus and giving us his spirit. Let's let the gospel get down into the nooks and crannies of our hearts. Let's let the gospel change us and sustain us so that we and others experience true gospel refreshment. Maybe there's somebody here that you need to say, I forgive you to. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe before we take the elements, you just look at your spouse and say, I forgive you because Jesus forgives me. Or maybe there's somebody you need to leave here today and go find. Let's take a moment to pray before we take the elements. Ask God to forgive you. Ask him to give you grace to go show mercy and to extend forgiveness to others. That you would be able to say, I forgive you. I really forgive you because God has forgiven me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Your word's so amazing, God, because here's this little book in the New Testament that so many times we don't even read, let alone that is ever preached on, and yet it is full of such gospel hope, full of such gospel reconciliation. And God, we come to you this morning, all of us, asking that first you would forgive us of our sins. And we thank you that you do. We thank you for your promise in your word that if we confess our sins and we admit that you are faithful and just, to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we thank you first for that. And then God, we ask you to help us to forgive those who have sinned against us, those who have wronged us, those who have hurt us. May we not focus on them. May we not focus on their sin. May we focus on our sin and then quickly turn our attention to the great sin bearer, your son, Jesus Christ. And then may gospel refreshment come to all parties involved. And then may you get great glory as people scratch their heads and wonder how there can be such reconciliation. May you get great glory when once again we point out the power of the cross to change sinful hearts. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for giving us your spirit. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Our hope is that today's message empowers you by God's grace to live God's way. For more information, visit us online at gracebath.net. 